Oh, snap, snap, snap. The world is finally waking up to the crap that's baked into and sprayed on kibble dog food. No longer can commercial pet food manufacturers fool us with pretty pictures and false promises. This is the raw dog food truth. The view and opinions expressed on this podcast are not intended to replace medical advice. Before starting any raw diet, do research, ask lots of questions, and consult your vet. Good morning, everybody. I am Dee Dee Mercer, the host of the Raw Dog Food Truth, where your pet's health is our business and where friends don't let friends feed kibble here at Raw Dog Food and Company. It is your one-stop shopping for your best balanced blends, air-dried treats, your holistic supplements, and our expert health team with Dr. Judy Jasek joining us again today. Good morning, Dr. Jasek. How are you? Good morning. I'm I'm doing well, doing well, enjoying some of this nice, little bit cooler early summer weather here in in Colorado. It's uh, nice and refreshing after the, some of that heat. Yeah. How do you think dogs respond to all this pollen flying around from all these pine trees? Oh, they can definitely react to it. I mean, we definitely see you know dogs that are prone to allergies you know, can definitely flare up. In dogs, we see more in the skin than, um, you know, people, it's more respiratory, but, you know, dogs, they can get a little respiratory stuff. Usually it's skin stuff. So dogs that are prone to that, we might see them flare up a little bit this time of year. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. You know, we, we have a lot of people who do some things like this. They get on a raw diet, dogs doing really well. Then they say, well, maybe I can go back to kibble. Mm. And then they go back to kibble. And what happens? They start itching, itching, itching. They go to the vet. Uh, I talked to a customer yesterday, a customer yesterday, and um, the vet had put the dog on steroids and antibiotics, and this dog is just in a bad way, right? So they put him back on raw, but here's the issue. They expect the dog to respond in only nine days back on raw after they've you know done some gut damage so i i said listen you got to give it some time give it some time that's yep. a catch that's a catch 22 right yeah totally skin disease you know and skin disease you see something superficial like that that's like the tip of the iceberg there's a whole lot more going on in that pet's body the skin the itchy skin is just the manifestation of deeper disruption. So disruption with the microbiome and inflammation and disruption of the immune system from things like over vaccinating or, you know, feeding kibble diets with all these, you know, horrible toxic ingredients. And sometimes the body actually tries to detox through the skin too. So you can put them on raw. I mean, switch back, you know, from kibble to raw, they could actually get worse because they're going to detox. And they sometimes try to detox through the skin. Sometimes that's through the gut and they get diarrhea. They can actually detox through the skin. So they can, it's that, that, you know, what we call the healing crisis. They can actually get worse before they get better. And it, it is important to just you know, seek guidance. I mean, you know, I know it's hard when you're, you're watching your pet itching and they're kind of driving you crazy and you don't want to see them suffering. And it's, it's very common. What I see is this knee jerk reaction. Oh, he's itching today. And I just fed beef. So now we're good. Let's try Turkey. And just, you're changing something every day. And sometimes you just need to pick a plan and, stick it out, not forever, but give it a little bit of time for the body to kind of resolve some of these, some of these issues. But, you know, really seek guidance because when you're emotional and you're watching your pet suffer, you know, you don't make 
the best choices sometimes. When you're, you don't make the best logical choices when, when your emotions are involved. None of us do. Right, right, right. And another issue that I've heard this week, um, and I do hear this over and over again, is when a pet parent is mixing a lot of things into the diet. So they're doing our blends or maybe doing store-bought stuff. They're doing other people's blends uh, that I can't speak for. I don't know. But if the dog begins to vomit, then all of a sudden they're saying, well, we've got a bad batch. And here is something that I hear. Well, they have been fine doing it this way for a very long time, but there's an accumulation effect. And I can't know whether there's been too much fat in the diet from different products being mixed in. I really cannot tell. But just because a dog has been okay in one protocol does not mean they will always be okay. We need to, we need to take a look and see what the accumulation effect is. Wouldn't you agree with that, Dr. JC? Oh, absolutely. And when you're mixing in, you know, a number of different products, first of all, dogs' bodies change as they get older, just like ours. You know, I God, my eat. body's changing all the time. Yeah. And I can't eat and drink everything I could when I was 20 and get away with it and feel good. You know, now I have to be a little more careful and, you know, get to bed a little earlier and, you know, you, you have to take a little better care and dogs' bodies change too. And when you have a product that has lots and lots of ingredients, or if they're synthetic vitamins, they might have one on there and they might be substituting. They found another product that's a little cheaper, but that product they're adding in could also have 10 ingredients, you know? So I always recommend check the labels because, you know, the ingredients might actually change. But even if the label stays the same, um, the actual ingredients can change and your pet could be reacting to something, you know, in there, you know, where there, there could be layers of hidden ingredients. And that's why we talk whole food, right? We're feeding meat, organs, bone, no hidden ingredients, you know, no, no hidden agenda. <laughs> no, you know, you, you, what's on the label is, is what you get. And that's, that's why this is the safest way to feed because you don't have these layers of hidden ingredients that your pet could be reacting to. The top reason that we see dogs are refusing food, not enough variety. And you guys, that means that if you're feeding the same thing, you know, and uh, month in, month out for six months, there's going to come a time that dog's going to say, I've had enough. You know, I need some variety. Um, but that's the first, and then mixing too many different things in. So you have to back off. All right. But bad batches, again, don't really happen. Uh, I would say a bad batch is if you leave it in your car. You leave it in your car and it's a hot summertime and it's really smelly. Yeah, maybe. I've seen some dogs even eat that and they're fine. All right. So let's move on today to this congenital disease. It's called mega esophagus. Mega esophagus. So, you guys, the esophagus is the pathway for uh, it, it. It starts in your dog's mouth and it goes to the stomach. It's the tube that helps the food uh, through a contraction get to the stomach. All right, but if your dog has lost the tone or the motility in that muscle then they get what is called mega 
esophagus, mega esophagus. This is a very dangerous um, disease, Dr. Jasek. I mean, if dogs aren't able to swallow the food, they can't get nutrition and they can most likely die. Um, but it's an, typically uh, the congenital in, uh, mega esophagus is due to an inborn problem with the dog. Um, but they don't really vomit, Dr. Jasek, right? It's that the, if, they, if they eat the food, it doesn't even get down to the stomach. It just comes right back out of the mouth, correct? Mm-hmm. Right. It doesn't, um, it tends to not even leave the esophagus. So there's, you know, there's a differentiation between regurgitation and vomiting. Vomiting is the classic, you know, stomach pumping, heaving, and then, you know, they throw up. You know, we've all seen that in our pets, both dogs and cats. You can hear your cat vomiting across the house sometimes because they make these noises when they vomit. Regurgitation, where the food doesn't even get down into the stomach, it sits in the esophagus until the esophagus literally fills up because, like you said, it's, you know, the esophagus is a muscular tube that contracts. The way your food gets from your mouth down into your stomach is that muscle in the esophagus, it contracts and literally pushes it down. And with mega esophagus, that contractile mechanism is not working. And so the esophagus just fills up till it essentially overflows. And then they'll just kind of spit up and it's completely undigested food, um, you know, looks pretty much like what it looked like in the bowl um, and sits there in the, you know, esophagus, like I said, until they get uncomfortable and then it comes back out. And there are some ways to get around it. But, you know, one of the one of the big dangers is not only are they not getting the food, but they can also aspirate. So this food builds up. And then if they breathe some of it um, into their airway, which is a separate tube, goes down into the lungs, they get an aspiration pneumonia. And that's pretty serious. So there are ways of feeding. There's actually a chair, um, a person built, I think it's called the Bailey chair, where you literally like kind of sit your dog up in it. I think you can even strap them in. So you, you want your dog upright, like standing on their hind legs, essentially, um, or sitting on their hind legs, but with their um, front legs up. So you have the advantage of gravity because normally we feed dogs with their head down in a bowl. So there's no, you know, all the food, if it's not going into the stomach, it's just going to come right back out, but you keep their head up and then you feed them in kind of like meatballs, like, um, you know, like you would take, you could take even a raw blend, you make it into meatballs that they can swallow. Um, So it's relatively, you know, formed. And then those tend to make it down better Then you have this gravity advantage and then they can get it into the stomach. But it's not, you know, in my experience, it's not usually something that gets better. It's something that has to be managed. There can be, it's it's also related to a condition called myasthenia gravis, which is, um, can be, you know, one of these autoimmune conditions where the um, the nerves don't the the junction between the nerve and the muscle doesn't work properly. So the nerves cannot um, stimulate the muscle appropriately to to fire, and so that can be, um, you know, that could also be an autoimmune. That could be something acquired that they get later on in life, or like you said, it could be something. Uh, that they're born with. But yeah, it's, it's definitely can be pretty serious, um, but can be managed if people know what they're doing and, you know, know how to do it properly. 
So one of the reasons I bring this up is because we have a, a pet parent who um, adopted this dog um, and they had no idea if this dog had problems or not. And they went to the vet and said that this dog had the um, aspiration pneumonia. But what was confusing to me as I've looked into this is that they said it came from a dog eating too fast. Now, I'm a little bit confused by that. Is that true? If a dog eats raw food or any kind of food too fast, would that lead to aspiration pneumonia? You know what? I would say in a healthy dog with normal, a normal functioning esophagus and normal functioning uh, trachea. So when the dog swallows, so another thing that can go wrong there is when the dog swallows, there's, there's cartilages or like little wings that close over the, the trachea, which is the windpipe, so that the food goes down the esophagus into the stomach, doesn't go down into the lungs. So you, it could be that the esophagus is not working properly, but it also could be the case those little cartilages are not closing off the windpipe appropriately. And that can happen, um, especially in older dogs, like that mechanism just gets a little bit weak. But in a normally functioning dog, dogs are designed to wolf their food down. I mean, literally, just, I mean, we've all seen dogs eat that way. They eat so fast, like the food's there and it's gone in like 60 seconds. They're they're really, their systems are designed to get that food in the stomach and then the stomach digests it. So I would say in an otherwise healthy dog, eating, eating too fast um, shouldn't be a problem. She did get a slow feeder bowl. So I have not heard from her since she got the slow feeder bowl to see if that helps. Um, we do see that some dogs eat really fast. And again, that is the way dogs eat, especially with raw food, because they're mm-hmm. loving it so much that they're eating fast. We've, I've seen some people suggest, and even some of my customers say, my dog eats this food so fast that I decided to just give it to him frozen, hmm. which would slow them down. But again, I think that eating frozen food can really cause problems with digestion. If your dog has been on a kibble diet uh, and they have bad teeth, that's not going to feel very good on their teeth. But I have heard people say that. Yeah. Plus cold. And this is a, um, you know, a concept that's taught um, in, in Chinese medicine that, that, you know, the cold, even any kind of cold food, that's why I actually think, you know, the food should be warmed. I mean, I splash some hot water or hot bone broth on my little guy's food just to take that chill off yeah. of it. It's thawed in the fridge, but I like to take the chill off of it because if that cold hits the stomach, it actually can inhibit the production of digestive enzymes. And that's the last thing you want when you're putting a bunch of raw food in the stomach is to not have the stomach producing that acid that's necessary to digest it. Um, I, I think, I think that's a bad idea, you know, unless the dog is having problems, like they, they are coughing after they eat or regurgitating or showing some signs that the food isn't going down the way it's supposed to be going down. Then, you know, that's the way dogs are meant to eat. I, I don't see that as a problem and you definitely don't want to be feeding 
um, a whole bunch of frozen food. I think you're, you're just going to get into more digestive problems that way. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if you suspect that your puppy has something going on um, in their um, regurgitating food, there, there's some other symptoms that typically go with this. It's a cough, there's loud breathing, weight loss, extreme hunger, or there can be a lack of appetite, excessive drooling, and smelly breath. Now, all of these can be related to even other things, but these are some of the symptoms. And then the only way that you can really diagnose, Dr. JC, correct me if I'm wrong, diagnosing me is that you have to do a chest X-ray. Um, and I think that you have to use barium. Um, so that is a solution that they have to swallow to test with the diagnostic tool. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the best way. I mean, sometimes you can see the enlarged esophagus without um, without doing the barium study, but the barium study is going to be most complete and it's going to show you the whole outline um, of the esophagus. So the barium is a radio opaque substance, which means that it shows up on x-ray. So the, you know, the esophagus, as we said, is a, is a muscle lined tube. And so soft tissue does not show up very definitively on your standard x-ray. X-rays are great for showing bones and, and things like that, that again, are, are more dense and show up on the x-rays and they have a mineral content. So the barium, when they swallow it, it literally will line the esophagus. And so you can see the whole outline of the esophagus all the way down into the stomach. And so you can see exactly, you know, what's going on to what extent, and, and you can actually measure it, like how enlarged is it? Is it just one portion of it? Or is it the whole thing? And is there a bunch of food stuck in there? And, and what's going on? But yeah, that's, you don't want to do a presumptive diagnosis of mega esophagus. You don't want to be guessing. You definitely want to get the, the diagnostic work done. Right, because they say some puppies, some puppies will grow out of this, this problem that their esophagus will regain normal function. Um, but then they also say that mortality is high, that up to 80% of puppies affected with congenial um, ME will need to be euthanized. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a tough decision that, that pet parents have to look at. Again, if their esophagus does not regain normal function, this will be something that pet parents will need to decide. Am I willing to take the time to get a Bailey chair? It's almost like a high chair. Dogs got to sit on their, you know, hind legs and their feet come up to the front. Um, I know some people that, that do that with the German Shepherd. And it is very, very time consuming. Mm -hmm. And they've been doing it for seven, eight years already. And the dog doesn't just sit there for five minutes. That dog has to sit mm -hmm. in that position for sometimes 20, 25 minutes. I don't, I guess you train them to sit in that chair and they learn it. It doesn't seem like it's a super comfortable position for a dog to be sitting yeah. in. But yeah, and a lot of it'll did you know be determined too by the dog's disposition. If you've got a laid back dog that will you know, accept that. But especially if you've got a young dog, you know, if you had a, you know, six month old German shepherd puppy and you're trying to get them to sit in that position for 20 minutes, um, 
you you may have you know a lot more more issues doing that and and that is important because you have to allow the food time to go down because again the esophagus isn't working so you have to you're allowing gravity to get that food into the stomach so they do have to sit there for a while yeah yeah i don't know how if you were counseling dr jasek um a patient and you've got to help them decide whether to put their dog down or to continue on Uh, what kind of advice how do you help them make that decision well i think a lot of it is going to be is going to be determined by the lifestyle of the pet parent you know if you've got people that are you know like a couple that works both work they got kids they got very very busy lifestyle this would probably be challenging you know since it's challenging to squeeze something like this into the the schedule in the morning and evening and actually you know ideally if you fed them like a few times throughout the day so the meals are smaller to begin with um you know if you could feed four or five times a day in in smaller quantities um that can sometimes work better too you know as opposed to you know a, a couple that's retired that they're mostly home and they have they have time on their hands um, because it, it can be managed, but you know, the dogs still, you know, are not, they're not going to have probably the same, you know, vibrancy and health. And um, you know, they may not have as much energy. They're just, they may not be getting optimal nutrition. Um, So I think, you know, people need to look at what they're in for and and they might even find, you know, I've, I've seen, uh, you know, people, adopt dogs like this because they, you know, like they have the time and they, you know, enjoy having um, something around to take care of. You know, there are people like that, that will sometimes adopt dogs. So I think people should be realistic. And if, you know, if the, if your schedule is just not going to allow this and it's just going to be a real stressful situation for your whole household, then I would, I would look at other options. And like I said, it's not necessarily euthanasia. You might be able to find somebody um, that will adopt a dog like that. Yeah, yeah. And I have uh, seen where they say, look, the Chinese, uh, traditional Chinese medicine is good. Acupuncture helps, mm-hmm. homeopathy, and then lower level laser therapy. They all talk about the holistic approaches for mega esophagus. I don't know that... that I don't even know what kind of traditional um, advice the vets are giving on this. I don't, there's no medicine that can really help this as far as I can see. There's really not. There's a couple of medications that can help um, like stimulate muscle contraction, but then you're, that's affecting the whole body. So you can, that can have other effects like on the GI tract Uh, you know, other areas with smooth muscle. And it's not, you know, it's not like a magic bullet. It might help a little bit. But I think, like you were saying, the more natural approach, um, it may not make the condition go away completely, but it can definitely help, um, you know, improve the contractility. Acupuncture, you know, things like that can, can definitely help just improve that firing of the nerves and getting that muscle to contract. And even if you get a little improvement, you get 20% improvement, that could help a lot. So I just want to go back to this, this one thing before we go today. With this pet parent who has been diagnosed, her pet has been diagnosed with aspiration pneumonia, the advice to her would be let's get 
some definitive x-rays to see if this particular dog actually does have ME. Because if he does, then the slow bowl or the slow feeder is not really going to address this problem. And then you also stated about the trachea flaps. Would they be able to see that on the chest x-ray to know whether there's damage there as well? No, you really, the, the only way to really know that is they, they have to be scoped um, where you put the camera down their mouth because it's, it's too far back to see from opening the mouth, but it's also because there, it's a dynamic thing, right? There, you want to watch to diagnose a problem there. You want to watch these flaps moving as the pet's breathing. And the only way to do that really is to sedate them and you have to put a camera down their throat. And, and go look at them, you know. So and you, you could also like, you know, because the mega esophagus is probably a little simpler to rule in or out, you would start with that. And then, you know, you could, and there's, again, there's other signs of, you know, these um, tracheal flaps not working. Um, the dogs will, will sometimes make more noise when they breathe, when they exercise and they're breathing hard or they're panting. They'll, um, they call this roarer syndrome in horses because that sounds like they're roaring. It's like this big noise, like they're, like they're breathing and they seem to be getting enough air, but they're just making a lot of noise. And it's, and it's usually more when they're exercising. Um, but, you know, sometimes positional dogs that snore when, you know, they lay down and they start to relax as they go to sleep. And then they, you know, the breathing gets really loud. Sometimes that can be um, the position of this flap too. So that could, there probably would be some other signs of that, but that would require scoping to, to find that out, uh, find that out more definitively. Now, let me ask you one last question. If you're going to diagnose a, a collapsed trachea, um, mm-hmm. is that the same procedure that you would have to have a scope to diagnose a, uh, diagnose a collapsed trachea or the tracheal flaps? Yeah, yeah, because it because the collapsing trachea is also dynamic. It's changing in size as the pet breathes. Now, you know, if you have a dog, and it's most common in little dogs, that every time they start breathing hard or get excited or go exercise, they're coughing, 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 coughing. There's a good chance that dog has a collapsing trachea. Um, but again, it's it's dynamic and and just unless it was a severe collapse, like, or you snap that x-ray at the exact second that that, um, or, you know, microsecond, we're talking like hundreds of a second here when it comes to snapping an x-ray, that exact instant where that trachea is collapsing, you may not see it on, on x-rays. So yeah, those are, those are dynamic things that you've got to be observing as the animal's breathing in and out. Yeah, I do have one uh, pet parent who, they have a dog who just coughs, 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 coughs. And they have gone in and, and uh, I talked to her the other day and she said, we tested for a collapsed trachea. Now, I didn't ask if she actually did the scope. So I need to find out that. But they've done boneless, they've done bone blends, they've changed blends, they've done everything. Um, and they cannot figure out, and this is a pit bull. Um, and they cannot figure out what is going on with this dog. Just coughs all the time. And um, so I said, well, 
you know, we will, uh, we'll just keep moving down the path. And she said, maybe it's just this dog. <laughs> I said, well, I don't, I don't think that's normal behavior. Yeah. And that's, that's a, a, you know, a thing too that can help is the timing, you know, is the dog coughing after it eats or drinks where that might be an issue of something getting in the, in the windpipe or is it when they exercise or is there any seasonality to it? Cause dogs can get things like allergic bronchitis um, where it, it does flare up in the spring, um, you know, spring and fall, like, you know, we, we mentioned earlier about the pollen counts. Do you do- does that affect dogs? You know, if you have a dog that's prone to an allergic bronchitis, it sure could. That isn't very common in dogs in, in my experience, but, you know, those kind of questions about the timing can at least give clues as to, you know, as to what might be going on. Yeah, yeah. All right, everybody, that is our podcast for today. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, uh, Dr. Judy Jasek is available to work with you. Go to her website. It's A-H-A, Apple, Harry, Apple, Vet, <laughs> dot com, Animal Healing Arts. Uh, dot com jasek j-a-s-e-k if you want to start your diet uh, dog on a raw food diet go to raw dog food and company.com where your pet's health is our business and we're friends don't let friends feed kibble see you guys soon bye everybody bye oh snap find out how you can start your dog on the road to health and longevity go to raw dog food and company.com where friends don't let friends feed kibble and where your pet's health is our business just snap